0: Hey there, Gary It's Friday, March 9th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, but he's not actually with me. He's in his own hotel room in the same hotel, but he was with me for like the past hour, just like messing around in my hotel room for some reason. What? What? I apologize to the listeners for wasting so much time that we're getting this to them a little later than we normally would. No, well, here's the deal.
1: I wanted to do a podcast in person. But given our audio setup, the let's talk, let's talk about this. Why? Why did that matter so much to you? Because using visual cues, one, I could you could not talk as long. I could simply interject. <laughs> let's let's be real. That's that's a big reason. But also,
0: okay, that, ne- never mind. I apologize. That actually makes sense.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, our our chemistry in person just ratchets up tenfold. Versus this telecommunicative thing that we've got going on here. But regardless, it's not happening. I'm seven floors up from you right now. You asked me not to name the hotel we are in. I will abide by that request and not say where we are. Uh, Also, for the final four, I hope to see you this year. Uh, There is no guarantee of that. But I am going to be bringing the proper equipment that will allow for us to record podcasts in person and keep the same sound quality. That's why this isn't an in person, in bed podcast, because ultimately we would have been using the microphone on my computer, and that's not quite at the level of this one. Paris was uncomfortable with that. I understand. Here we are. It's Friday morning. We are at, what are we at, like 55 hours till Selection Sunday? There's a bunch yeah. of great hoops yeah. going down right
0: now. Where do you want I'm to start? That. Um,. First off, I wasn't uncomfortable with the sound as much as I was uncomfortable with you in my bed. I just, I like my bed to myself, if you don't mind. That's is okay. That okay? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. And the reason I didn't want you to say the hotel is I don't need somebody at four in the morning calling the hotel room and shouting out Devin Downey or, or Terry M. F. or, or uh, Chester, South Carolina, which, which is a possibility. So, um, We'll just keep the hotel private for now. But um, it's good to see you this morning. That's what I meant to say. There's no shot you believe that. But anyway, continue. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. played for the first time yesterday. He was not great. I think he was 5 of 17 from the field. Missouri lost to Georgia. So uh, Mark Fox marches on to the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament. Your thoughts on Michael Porter Jr.'s, not really his college debut, because he did play two minutes earlier this season, but uh, basically his college debut.
1: Yeah, I was at Madison Square Garden for the first half of yesterday. I guess I went to Barclays at night, and I was at MSG for the afternoon session. So I actually, I did watch some of this game. Uh, Rob Doster, our buddy from NBC, had the game up on his computer, and so I did get some uh, some good looks at at Porter overall. It's it's a bizarre outcome, frankly. Um, Missouri obviously had a lead. Georgia's not that good. Wasn't able to win. So just in general, kind of a bummer that Missouri's a one and done team in the SEC tournament. Uh, but Porter got some, he got some good burn. I scored 12 points and looked probably about what I would have expected him to look like given that, you know, as much as you might want to practice and get shots up, you know, game time when you are removed three months essentially three plus months from when you last played. Uh, it's gonna have an impact on your ability overall. So I think I think encouraging for Missouri fans that one they get to see him play two he played 23 minutes um, but will they go into the NCAA tournament and essentially get the same kind of performance out of Porter? Uh, he was 311 from the field. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but this could, this could ultimately wind up being a situation where Mizzou gets supported for two games, two losses. They're obviously going to be put in a situation where they're going to face a team similar to them. They won't be a massive underdog. I would not think. Um, but I could see it going that way and then Porter's off and goes to the NBA and his college career is just a whatever. But I like at least the fact that we're getting to see him, um, and it would be very fun if, if Mizzou was able to win a game or two and he showed up big time. But overall, just a little bit of a tease. But I still think it's worth it. I'll, I'll end with this. It was worth it for him to do this, and Conso should not be getting any sort of criticism about why have you? Why did you put him on the floor now? Or why didn't? Why wasn't he on the floor a week ago when he could have gotten uh, the rust out in one or two games? Well, uh, from what I understand, that's not entirely Conzo's decision. If if it is, it is at all. You know, this is this is about Michael and his family and what they wanted to do there. So um, if people are thinking that they want to, you know, kill Conzo over this, that's that's a bit misguided.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's. Fairly well-known, like Michael was going to play, A, after the doctors said he could, but B, when he was comfortable, and he and his family were comfortable doing it. By all accounts, that was the SEC tournament. And so um, you play him now, if only because you don't want his first game to be in the NCAA tournament, you can live to play another day. If you lose in the SEC tournament, they will. Um, That game yesterday was, I mean, you'd rather win it than lose it, but, I mean, what does it really cost them? I don't know. They'll slip a line or two in the... In the bracket, maybe, but it's it's mostly inconsequential. Um, whereas, if his first game back is in the NCAA tournament and he goes five of seventeen in that one, well, well, now you got problems because you're going to lose and your season's over. So, if you've got to get his first game out of the way, I guess I'd put it this way: if he's going to play at all, and you got to get his first game out of the way, then you get it out of the way in the SEC tournament. If the SEC tournament is the first time he said I'm ready to go. And so he looked about. I mean, I guess it'd be great if he was 12 or 17 from the field, went for 30, but that's that's not realistic. You know, he hasn't played in a long, long time. And so I'm with you. He looked about what I uh, looked about how I thought he would look, and I'd still take him with a top five pick, probably. Like the idea that anybody would move off of him because of how he looked in a basketball game, playing for the first time in months, um, seems silly to me. And so now you hope that. He comes back for the NCAA tournament, which he will, obviously. And um, and whatever first game issues that exist, whatever they are, that they're out of the way. And he starts to look closer to the guy you and I have watched for years play on the summer circuit um, and looks less like a, a guy who hasn't played in, in several months. Brendan Haywood, uh, my colleague at, at CBS Sports uh, and CBS Sports Network, uh, made a good point, I thought, on air the other night that. The SEC tournament – and I understand that um, – like this is when he could come back. He said, I'm ready to go, and the next game was the first game in the SEC tournament, so whatever. But Britton said, in the NBA, you, you could go look at all 30 teams, talk to every trainer in the NBA, and none of them would say, if you haven't played since November and you're coming back in March, that you would play on consecutive days. Like even Isaiah Thomas, when he came back earlier this season for Cleveland – he, didn't, he wouldn't play him back-to-backs. And so Brendan was like, I don't understand bringing him back for the SEC tournament because if you win on Thursday, you play on Friday. Is he really going to go month without playing and then play on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday? Like no trainer would sign up. On that. And yet, uh, apparently Missouri was headed down that path. And so for Michael Porter Jr., I- I'm wondering if, if like maybe losing is, isn't just the best thing for him. And perhaps the best thing for Missouri, because you get one game under your belt. You don't have to come back and play 24 hours later, um, but you got those jitters out that rust hopefully off. And now you don't play again until next Thursday or Friday. What do you make of that? That's a decent
1: point, And obviously, Brendan speaks from experience and, and knows what he's talking about there. Um, I think it might potentially could have benefited Porter, even if Missouri had won and he didn't play 23, but he got 15 to 18 minutes um maybe just one more game would have been a good situation going into the tournament in what in what could have been a week long wait You know we might be looking at eight days or seven days now for Missouri, depending on how uh the schedule shakes out with all of that um i'm uh, no matter who Missouri plays in the field i'll I'll be there i'll probably be as interested in that game. As maybe almost any other game in that same window, just because I'm, I'm I know who Porter was as uh, as a prospect, you know, before he got to Missouri, and certainly a very very intriguing player and a guy who looked NBA ready then. Um, from what I saw in their game on Thursday, he just you know that wasn't just there yet. Um, right. So I I'll, I'll just be interested in seeing what he is in the next game and maybe he will be exactly what we saw Thursday maybe maybe not I don't think that will impact like I don't think it's NCAA tournament performance barring Missouri like making a lead eight run and Porter averaging like 25 and nine which is just not going to happen like I don't think his draft stock is going to be impacted by these games here so I'm just overall intrigued on how he impacts Missouri what he looks like and yeah if they're able to get a win or two in the tournament that remains to be seen but obviously that was Arguably, like, the biggest thing going into Thursday was Porter's debut and uh, bizarrely losing to Georgia in a Georgia program that's, I mean, we're expecting there's going to be a coaching change there, but, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. But it was uh, not, not a good loss for the Tigers there, obviously. It, it hurts them, I would think, in the overall 1-68 um, to 68 rankings in the committee.
0: Yeah, uh, turns out the star of the uh, SEC tournament on Thursday was another likely – I mean, definitely – uh, one and done freshman, and that was Colin Sexton at Alabama. He got 27 points, and the last two came on a finger roll slash floater at the buzzer. And I, I was talking about this last night in the studio. You know, we pay so close attention to this stuff, and and you're you're better about this than I am. Um, and and then just by by tomorrow, it's just over. Like you can't remember. Like Miami was up. However, like 12 nothing, 14 nothing, whatever it was against North Carolina, we won't even remember that a week from now. Right. Um, it just – so much is happening. We talk about it, and then we move on. And yet that Colin Sexton moment, that's a March moment. You'll remember that for a long, long time. You know, Alabama needing a bucket to keep its NCAA tournament hopes alive. I mean the stakes are high. We have talked about that Darius Washington moment before where make them, you go to the tournament, miss it, you don't. Well, this was essentially the same thing. Like Colin Sexton, make this, and you go. And I don't know that they're, I don't know if they're safe yet. Jerry Palm says they're not. Says they need to beat Auburn on uh, you know, later today. But either way, if you if you make it, you're still in play for an at-large bid. If you miss it, uh, you're going to the NIT, and that means you, for Colin Sexton, you're never playing in the NCAA tournament. Now here's the ball go. And I love Avery Avery Johnson, like a former NBA Coach of the Year. Like in the huddle, basically saying, I right, get the ball to Colin and just you go score. I mean, because that was essentially what he did coast to coast. And I, I submit that it, it won't resonate like Tyus Edney because of, you know, it, it's SEC tournament instead of NCAA tournament. But that's a March moment that people, Alabama fans clearly. But I just think college basketball fans in general, that's one you're going to remember for a long, long time. Great moment facilitated by brutal
1: defense. <laughs> lack, lack thereof. I mean, listen. Sexton, he he can get a he can get a head of steam on him, and there's no doubt about it. A and M wasn't playing for as much. That's a team with a resume that's safely in the field. I would even I would still argue that A and M overall has has been a letdown there. Um, but so be it. A great visual in how like. That that finger roll was out of 1974. Like it was just you don't see that kind of play in college basketball, really. And it was it was necessary given time and score. Just the way that he was able to get down the floor, get to that spot, and just get it out before the buzzer beat. Really cool moment. Bama needed that. And a couple things. One, I think it's gonna listen. People might be listening to this after this game's over. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna say Bama's gonna beat Auburn on Friday Four and 14. Four and 14. Four and 14, yes. Auburn, our buddy
0: Kyle Boone, and who knows, maybe Kyle Porter too, uh, predicted, of course, Auburn to go four and 14. Shouts to Kyle Boone. I talked to BP about that the other day. I had Bruce on my radio show, and I asked him about the four and 14, and I brought up Kyle Boone. He was like, You know what? I've never mentioned his name. I've never mentioned his name. But I was like, It's either Kyle Boone or Kyle Porter. I can't remember which one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so good. Um, I I, th- I think Bama is going to – I'm
1: just going to pick Bama to win. And, and in doing that, they will be in the field. And uh, Beating Auburn would be good enough to vault them in. At that point, they'd be 19-14. and 14, And if they were to lose their next game, they'd be 19-15. and 15. But overall, they're going to have enough quadrant one performance, I think, to validate getting them in. A loss there, I think I'd keep them out. That's been another fun thing about this week is we have had a lot of situations with teams where – I think in most years, Parrish, I don't, I don't look at a lot of these bubble teams as true do-or-die situations when they're in their second round or their quarterfinal matchups or potentially in semifinal matchups with, with teams. It does happen somewhat, but I, I sometimes think we overstate that. However, Louisville against Virginia kind of felt do-or-die, and they died. Um, who was who uh, – there were three – Jerry Palm still has Louisville in. Man. they might be in. They might be in. Oh, but but I guess the better way I would put this is there were teams that were facing such big opponents that a win, I think, would have had to have locked them in. Notre Dame beating Duke, I think, would have cemented the Irish in the field. Didn't get it done. Louisville, obviously, didn't get it done. There's one more that I'm blanking on here. There's another team, and I can't remember who it was. Um, But regardless of that... You kind of got that again a little bit with Alabama and Auburn, um, and I love this week. You're so right in that a lot of like the Miami thing. Like, first of all, I want to know the success rate of a team that starts a game 14-0. Oh, I think I know the other one you're thinking of. What Oklahoma State, Kansas? Yes, that is the other one. Yes, and and by the way, like I don't know if Oklahoma State's going to get in, but I will tell you this: if they don't get in, it'll be it'll be the non-conference schedule. The loss total for them, which is fine, but they will if they do not get in, there are going to be teams that got in that will have two or three fewer good wins as them right. at least, and that'll be a discussion
0: perhaps we can say for selection Sunday um, for, w- for what it's worth, uh, just on this real quick, mm-hmm. um, you know we had Jerry Palm in studio with us last night he'll be in studio with us the rest of this week and um, through Sunday. And he has Oklahoma State out, which has been a big talking point in the studio because Wally Zerbiak loves Oklahoma State. He's like, the idea that they wouldn't be in is ridiculous. And Jerry points out that no team with Oklahoma State's type of resume, bunch of good wins, but RPI in the 80s, a whole bunch of losses, uh, clearly capable of beating good teams, but a whole bunch of losses, RPI in the 80, has never gotten in. No team like Oklahoma State has never received an at-large bid as recently as last season, I think this is what he said. Syracuse had a very similar resume: bunch good wins, RP on the 80s, a whole bunch of losses, did not get in, and and so Jerry is like Oklahoma State's out, if only because nobody like Oklahoma State has ever received an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, and we can I can divert from my thought for a quick second to respond to that because it's a good point here. I have spoke with the chair of the committee, Bruce Rasmussen, a, a few times this season. And on two occasions, he has brought up simply the, the top 75 cutoff for, um, for quadrant one as it pertains to uh, to home victories. And that 75 is important because 74 is the record for the lowest RPI of any team to ever make the field, I believe. Unless that changed in the past two or three years, but I'm almost positive that remains it with New Mexico, I believe, still has that record. Um, and so, while the committee will never say that it looks at RPI as a determining factor, I have to believe that being in the 80s for Oklahoma State is going to be a detriment to that team. Maybe not. I mean, listen, I also maintain that I think that we are going to get situations here this this, this year with seeding and selection where we're going to have decisions that are not going to match up to general general ideas. And I don't want to say consensus because there isn't a that, that word doesn't truly get defined in this instance. But if you took the overall purview of, of what people are expecting for the ones and twos and threes and fours and five seeds and who's going to be in and who's going to be out, I think we might have a couple of exceptions because – this is a year of transition. This could be the final year that the RPI is used the way it's used, and the committee might be trying to wrestle with two different philosophical ideals here. So if Oklahoma State gets in, perhaps that's one reason why. It's 54 in Ken Palm right now. Um, it's had a very solid year. Again, losses have to matter. There's no doubt about it. They've got 14 of them, but they might be able to knock it in at 19-14. Alabama, on the other hand, might get in at nineteen and fifteen um,
0: would be interesting overall. Um, I'll tell you th- I'll tell you this real quick on Alabama, and I only know this stuff because I was with Jerry last night. We were discussing this nonstop. Um, no team, according to Jerry Palm, has ever made the NCAA tournament as an at-large, only being three games above five hundred. And his point there is that if Alabama loses to Auburn. It'll be 18 15. And, and no team, only three games above 500, has ever made the NCAA tournament. That's, that's pri- I don't know what to say primarily. That's partly mm. why he thinks Alabama's got to beat Auburn. Because if you're not four games above 500, you, you can't get there. Or at least nobody's ever gotten there. Okay.
1: Hold on real quick. What was, I believe the stat, but let me just check. What was Georgia that one year they did it? Uh, what was Georgia? It was like two. Georgia did – not the year that they went nuts and got the auto bid. What were they that one year? Oh, man. Hold on. Georgia at large bid. What was it, 2001? We'll figure this out. 2000 – they did go in 2001. What was their record? Hold on. I'm going to bring up their basketball reference. Because Georgia had like a a really – they had a lot of losses. And I remember there being a lot made at the time about them getting in with – so many losses. Uh, let me see what they were at. In that 2000, year. They went 16 and 15 overall. So is, is Jerry Palm just lying to me? Yeah, that was the whole thing. Is that that one that one uh, that one year? Is that that was 2001, right? So is Jerry Palm liar? Is he a liar, Jerry Palm? Is he a they fraud? They were they were uh, lost first round, 16 and 15. Yeah, and yeah, unless they won the auto bid that year, but I don't think they did. I thought that was the whole thing. Is that they had such a – they had the number one uh, strength of schedule in the non-conference.
0: But Jerry Thompson, liar.
1: Yeah, that could That's be – uh, we
0: finally figured this out.
1: That could be the situation right there. Um, I'm just checking to make sure they didn't win the auto bid. They did not. They
0: Keep did. in mind, I could be misquoting him. You could be lying yourself. It, it might. This might actually end up being me lying, but I don't think so because he made that point like three different times. Well, there we go. It'll, it will be interesting. Um, I think Jerry Palm's a liar,
1: but I love. I do love this. I love this weekend. Yep. even even though we've got these these huh. uh, results that so quickly get disposed. I get all that, uh, and like we're recording this podcast Friday morning. There is going to be a bunch of games we can't touch on these. We don't. There is by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast, they're going to be looking forward to Saturday, and then obviously Selection Sunday. Um, but I think this Friday is going to be awesome, and then Saturday, obviously, I listen. Parrish will not allow me to run down all of the automatic bids that are going to be going out on Saturday. Obviously, it's going to be tremendous,
0: tremendous this weekend, and there's still a lot to be determined. What else do you want to get to, man? I love the automatic bids, especially from the one-bid leads. Watch this. You ready? Yeah. Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. Ray Bucknell. You heard anybody else on the podcast? Shout out Bucknell, Patriot League champs. I can't say that I have. So Oklahoma State lost, and it might be a killer. We've established that. Did Middle Tennessee die yesterday? Middle I think Middle so. Tennessee died yesterday. I
1: think so, and I'd love to see them in. And they're obviously good enough, but I don't think they have the resume. Um, this loss, this early in the tournament, combined with their lack of elite wins overall. Now, how many opportunities do they have? I understand all of that, but you lose to Southern Miss the way that you did. It's just going to be too many losses overall. I think. What loss? It's it's. Really damaging. You lost at home to Marshall, and Parrish has been a guy that's always said that Marshall is is, is certainly a team that should be dominating CUSA. And you lose at home to Marshall, you fall to Southern Miss back to back. It's I don't think they can overcome it. I, I just don't. And I'd love to see them in. They've got so many road wins. This team has won at Murray State, at Tennessee State at Vanderbilt, at Florida Gulf Coast, at UAB, at FIU, at Florida Atlantic, at Western Kentucky, at Old Dominion, yes, I'm still going, at Charlotte, at Southern Miss, at La Tech, at UAB. There's no team that can match that in the entire sport in terms of road victories. And I think it will carry them into a conversation, but ultimately their lack of top-level wins is going to shut
0: them out. It's just not going to happen. Well, I, I guess I would say this – Um yeah, I mean they have one, like you said, at uh, UAB, at Florida Gulf Coast, at Tennessee State, at Louisiana Tech, at Southern Miss, at Florida Atlantic, at Florida International, at Charlotte. Here's the thing, though. When people start citing things like that, I mean it's true. And so if I'm arguing on behalf of Middle Tennessee, I, I, sh- I frame the argument however I need to frame the argument. But uh, Oklahoma State, if it played at all those places. Would probably have beaten all those teams too. I mean, like the the, the difference there is not just that Middle Tennessee won all these road games; it's that they they played all these road games that other bubble teams just do not play. Right, but,
1: but they. they think, but playing... I know,
0: I know, yeah. and that's a hypothetical. Whereas right. Middle Tennessee actually did it, so it I... actually gets the credit for doing it. That's all. Right. Yeah, yeah, I understand, but just I don't consider that so much of an accomplishment as as much as I I look at the overall resume. And clearly, they don't get the same type of opportunities as you know, a, a Big 12 team or an ACC team gets. Um, but they did play Auburn on a neutral, and they lost. They did play Miami on a neutral, and they lost. They did play USC on a neutral, and they lost. And it means that they're sitting here right now, and they're they're, they're two best wins relative to the RPI, which is what the committee's using. Um, they beat Rick Stansberry twice. Uh, they won at Murray State. That's good. I think they've got three quad one wins. Um, At Western Kentucky, at Murray State, at Old Dominion, but I just don't think it's going to get them there. And so if if the question is, is Middle Tennessee good enough to be in the bracket and win a game, sure. But do they have the resume to show it? I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that's going to happen there. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, I don't know if we'll have time for this on Sunday's podcast or if we'll... Want to discuss this? Where we want to just talk about it real quick right now. You look at all the teams that are kind of fighting to get in, and kind of on that cut line, and that's teams like what UCLA, Arizona State, Louisville, Bama, Oklahoma State, Syracuse, even like Utah, Notre Dame. Right. None of these teams are from one bid or two bid leagues, and the problem is if you're these smaller schools and you're you're only getting so many opportunities against whatever programs you can manage to get on your schedule. And if that's three opportunities, if it's five opportunities in your own five or one and four, if you don't make the most of it, uh, the system, unfortunately, is not going to help you out the way it's currently constructed. Now, if, if Middle Tennessee gets in the field, then that would be aberrational and... I don't know if I would applaud the committee, but maybe I would for the gall to do it. And I don't think you'd have a lot of people criticizing it just because of the history of of mid-majors not getting in. But obviously this just goes back to the the issue when we get to the situation of these teams trying to get in and just lacking stuff at the top of the resume. You combine that with seven losses and some bad ones and some quadrant three and quadrant four. And that's why I think Kermit Davis will be going to the NIT.
0: When coaching development uh, from the last 24 hours Kevin Stallings was fired at a pit after only 2 years um obviously just terrible and 18 in the ACC this season um lost in the first game of the ACC tournament so and 19 against ACC teams uh this season they had to make a change even if it's costly unless they can figure out a way of firing for cause which i doubt they will even if they try um you know he's, he's owed in excess of nine million dollars, and yet y- you got to do it because where is that program going? And it's just a reminder that this is the same school, different AD, different AD, but the same school that you know lowered Jamie Dixon's buyout so that he could go to TCU. And though I hated that, I st- still get feedback back from some Pitt fans who like will not accept reality. They got bored with a man who went to 11 NCAA tournaments in 13 years because he wasn't going to Elite Eights and Final Fours, as if that's what you're supposed to do at Pitt, um, and, and and wanted him out. And the administration um, re- reacted to that in some way. And they lowered his buyout to make it easier for him to go to TCU. And while some TCU fans, I mean, some Pitt fans have, have said, he was going to TCU no matter what, here, here's where your your argument falls apart. Uh, let, let me first say this: I, He might have been going to TCU no matter what, because you know Jamie's got it years. You know he's got Google. He he understands that Pitt fans have grown tired of his consistent success, and that um, you know eventually, if you stay somewhere too long, you you're gonna get got unless you're a you know a sure bet Hall of Fame coach like Mike Shousek or John Calipari or whatever Tom Izzo. And so he might have been going to TCU no matter what. But if you don't want him to leave, then you say, hey, Jamie, if you want to go to TCU, we understand. But you owe us this much money. If he's going no matter what, there's no reason to lower the buyout. And if you want to keep him, then you you offer him a raise. You offer him security. You recruit him back to campus. You do not lower the buyout. The fact that Pitt – and it is a fact that Pitt lowered his buyout so he could go to TCU – means that Pitt wanted to move on from Jamie Dixon, period. And they moved on. And now they moved on to the 200s in Kenpah, a zero-win season in the ACC. And Jamie Dixon, of course, is headed to the NCAA tournament. You talk about one of the worst basketball decisions in the past few years, if not decade. Pitt's responsible for two of them. One, uh, lowering Jamie Dixon's buyout to encourage him or at least make it easier for him to go to TCU. And two, hiring Kevin Stallings to replace Jamie Dixon because if you were tired of Jamie Dixon, somebody who is a good coach gets to the tournament but then doesn't advance deep, what on earth in Kevin Stallings resume thought you thought made you think that was sensible. Pittsburgh's going to go
1: almost 11 months without a victory and I understand most of that'll be covered in the off season so every team's going to go more than 5 months without a victory but they haven't won since they beat Towson at home on December 22nd they needed to move on but this is still ugly for them uh they, the the school itself doesn't look good in the midst of all this even if you admit defeat admit that and again new athletic director obviously um you're going to move on from Stallings that that contract that buyout is brutal um I was talking last night with uh, with some some media members, and we were saying, you know, is Pitt a top 40 job in college basketball? I don't think it is. Like, maybe top 50 at this point. And I'm not just taking into account the mess that happened with Stallings. I'm The league that, that they're in is tougher now. It's not a top eight job in that league. You cannot make the argument at, at any point. It might not even be top 10, honestly. It's fringe top 10 overall. And... What kind of candidate can they get? Will they get? How much money will they have to pay such a candidate? Will that affect the recruiting pool? There was a report out there that uh, that Pitt's athletic director might have been interviewing Chris Gent. Uh, from what I'm hearing, I don't know if that's necessarily a likelihood. Um, I don't know. We'll see who they are able to get. Uh, and obviously, as the tournament uh, goes on and teams get eliminated, we'll have a better idea, I guess, overall. But this is a dynamite situation blow everything up, hope that you can get the right kind of coach and rebuild something to the point where you are, you know, hopefully in the NCAA tournament picture by 2021. 2020, if you get the absolute right coach on fire, no doubt about it, but it is uh, it is disastrous, and they, they definitely really, really screw this up. And they, they are making the right decision. It's really expensive, but no one thought Stallings was a good hire. No one was you know knocking down on Vanderbilt's door to get Kevin Stallings to run their program. Uh, he was up
0: to get fired at Vanderbilt.
1: And this so they had to move on but it's it's been a disaster for Pitt. This is this is uh on the level with college football and college basketball. I know Tennessee's gone through some stuff uh but this thing at Pitt, man, it's uh and I know those Pitt fans are are really just they just want some sort of consistency and a coach that they can embrace that brings some excitement to them, and your points about Dixon are totally valid, 100% on the mark. Let's see who they can get. I don't know. They, you mess this next hire up, though. This isn't going to change. Like, you'll be basement of the ACC for the next four or five years if that happens.
0: It's pivotal you get the right guy. I um, was at Pitt a few years ago, and when Pitt was rocking, like when Jamie had rocking, it had one of the best student sections, like one of the best atmospheres you could have in college basketball. I mean, it was terrific. And I had always watched the games on television. And if you ever watch a pit home game on TV, what you'll notice is that when you're, you know, the cameras shoot down on the court and there's seats on the, you know, opposite side of the camera. And it's like some suites on like some lower level suites and like some seats, but it's not the stupid. Like when you when the cameras catch Cameron Indoor, you're looking at the Cameron crazies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way it is at, at at lots of places, and yet it's not like that at Pitt at all. And so I remember talking to somebody there, and I said, "Man, you guys have one of the great student sections in America. Like it it's it's a great visual, and yet the cameras don't pick it up as the game's going on. Like somebody built this building wrong. You should have had or or somebody's." Uh, um, Uh, distributed the seats incorrectly because you should have those cameras catching that student section every second of the game. And yet it's not, it's just rich boosters sitting there like happy to be at a college basketball game. And what I was told was when we built, when we built the building, we did not anticipate having (laughs) one of the great student sections in America. Like we were just pit basketball. And so we were hiding the students from the cameras and and that's how much Jamie flipped it. Started with Ben, Howland, of course, but but Jamie flipped it into uh, oh, like they went from hiding the students from the ca- from the cameras to having one of the great student sections in America, and to and to lose focus of that and recognize that the guy who did that for you has still gone to eleven tournaments in thirteen years. I understand that he didn't go to a Final Four, and I understand that it had slipped a little bit in recent years, but. And and the conference move had something to do with that, I would assume. But my God, you had one of the best college basketball coaches in America, and you lowered his buyout to allow him to leave. Again, if you wanted to keep him, like if you really didn't want him to leave, here's what you do. Jamie, we understand if you want to go to your alma mater, and we can't stop you from doing it. There's a clause in the contract that says you're allowed to buy yourself out of the contract. But you're going to have to buy yourself out of the contract. You owe us every penny that you owe us. They didn't do that. They lowered it to encourage him to go. And to do that... And then compound your issue by hiring – let me be clear. Somebody who I do think is a good basketball coach and somebody who I do think has had a good career. But, I mean, that was in a, 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 about as boring a hire as you could make. I mean, you would have been better off rolling the dice on an up-and-comer than, than hiring somebody who uh, had essentially the same reputation at Vandy that Jamie had at Pitt. But at Vandy, Kevin wasn't nearly as good as Jamie was at Pitt. To hire him to replace Jimmy Dixon, a pit, just it didn't make sense at the time. Uh, often you can look back with revisionist history and go, "Wow, you know, I don't." Looking back on it, boy, they did mess that up. This is one you and I talked about the day it happened, and it did not make any sense. Even if you want to move on from Jamie, because hey, it's a long time. We need something to invigorate, uh, in, you know, reinvigorate our fan base to, to spark enthusiasm. I, I disagree, but whatever. I, I can at least understand the rationale in that but doing it and then replacing him with Kevin Stallings it didn't it didn't make sense at the time and obviously as we sit here two years later not even two years later um just a a disastrous situation let's close with this because you are going to be at Barclays tonight I'll be in studio in uh in Midtown Manhattan and you will be um at Barclays in Brooklyn for uh Duke Carolina and a Friday night game on national television in New York City between Duke and Carolina. Like it In terms of college basketball, like it really doesn't get much better than that.
1: Second straight year, exact same thing happened last year. Duke and Carolina won their quarterfinals on Thursday night to play and set up for a Friday semifinal with the idea that a one-seat could be hanging in the balance or potentially up for grabs for the winner of the game. And last year it was just... It was really more North Carolina, and Duke had faint, faint hopes. Now it's the opposite this year. Duke's got one-seed hopes, and North Carolina's are faint. UNC right now, you know, I mentioned on the last podcast, because of their loss total, they might be a seed line lower than people expect. But if they beat Duke and lose to Virginia, they'll have 13 wins in quad one. They'll still have nine losses. Personally, I don't. I don't think UNC is going to get a one because a team with nine losses has never gotten a one. I don't think that would happen. But if they won the ACC tournament and beat Virginia, doing it again, another in- interesting situation for the committee this year. We'll see what winds up happening. But I don't think UNC is winning this tournament anyway. I'm super excited for the game. There are. I wrote a quick preview on the site that people can read if they want because it's going to be up well. before. You know, you have plenty of time to read this before uh, the game tips. There are. There are so many factors in. in Tonight's game that were just like last year's, except uh, Duke and North Carolina have kind of just have flipped roles. Like Duke needed a big rally last year to beat Louisville. Well, UNC needed a big rally this year, and I don't know how many times a team has ever started the game down fourteen to nothing and won. Like I, I got to believe that happens maybe two percent of the time. Like that's almost first of all you got to get to that point not score the game's first 14 points, still right. come back and win. Not only that, they won by 17 over Miami. That beat them at the buzzer at Chapel Hill in, in just awesome, dramatic fashion less than two weeks ago. Kind of crazy. Um, this month has been tremendous overall. But I think this will be a pretty good game. I'm expecting, I'm expecting Duke to win. I mean, Bagley was obviously a monster against Notre Dame. Notre Dame was in desperate need of a win. They could not, they couldn't even keep it close late. And Mike Bray said that this Duke team is the best above the rim rebounding team he has ever seen at the college level. Um, I don't take Mike Bray to be one to speak in hyperbole, really. Uh, he just said, listen, we had great box outs the whole game. Great box outs, great positioning, did not matter. Their dudes are so big. So impressive the way they... and Mark Bolden played relatively well, and obviously you got Bagley and Carter doing doing what they do uh, as well. Man, it, Duke can get it going. And if Trayvon Duvall, our colleague Reed Forgrave, has a really good feature up on on Trayvon Duvall's uh, upbringing, I recommend everyone find the time to read that as well. They ha- if they can get just. Really good play from him. Grayson Allen is continuing to look strong, and the defense is what it is here. Yeah, they're, they're going to be playing for one seed. I want to get your thoughts on this game, but then wrap up with just a, a real quick discussion on teams still in play for one seed because that's the one thing that will have its shelf life here going into Selection Sunday. We have a lot of teams obviously playing Friday that are still vying for that top line.
0: Obviously, Duke's one of those teams, and so that's why this Friday night game is, is important. I like It could really shape the the, the one seed's um, I, I don't think they could do it just by beating North Carolina. They got to win the ACC tournament, but if they win the ACC tournament one way or another, um, I think Duke is going to be a, a one seed and, um, and, and they'll deserve that. Uh, on Bagley real quick, 33 and 17. And he doesn't do it the way when Trey young was doing crazy stuff earlier this season. He, you know, it was, it was wild shots, um, difficult shots from all over the court. You know, Bagley obviously doesn't do it like that, but 33 17 is insane. And yet it doesn't even feel abnormal for him. And it's why I've updated my NBA mock draft over at CBS uh, It'll be posted at some point Friday or Saturday. And I've still got Bagley going number one and almost nobody else does. And I'm, I'm respectful of that. And, um, and smart enough to know that it's sensible. Like, DeAndre Ayton could reasonably go number one. Luka Doncic could reasonably go number one. But when you've got somebody so physically gifted and plays hard every minute, that's not to be taken for granted. And, that, that, and I, I don't mean it like Aaron Kraft really plays hard. Like whatever. He's limited in what he could do. Bagley's not limited in what he can do. He's 6'11", a great second jumper which is how he gets a lot of those rebounds. There was one moment last night. It was just miss it, tip, miss it, get it back, dunk it. I mean, he he's an unbelievable second jumper, third jumper, um, physically gifted, but also plays hard. And when you give me the most talented guy on the court who also plays as hard as anybody else on the court, that is a great combination. The NBA is filled with guys who are uniquely gifted but just don't have the motor that makes them go nonstop all the time. Bagley's got that. And, um, man, I just don't see any way barring injury he's not a really, really high-level NBA player because, again, physical gifts are there, natural gifts are there, and he plays hard every possession. Is that – like do you disagree with any yeah, of that? I, I mean, don't, I don't, not, not, yeah, not I'm, necessarily with – you might say I think DeAndre Ayton should be the number one pick. I hear you. I understand. But, man, you give me somebody as gifted as Bagley – Who, Like, he was two or three from beyond the arc. So 6'11", can step away from the basket, awesome around the rim, plays hard every possession. Like, give me that guy.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And uh, listen, our buddy Jonathan Gavoni had a mock draft a few weeks ago that had Bagley going fifth. And I saw that and I thought, you know, I understand these mock drafts. You got to keep it fresh, like, monthly throughout the season. I just
0: don't understand the situation in which he would drop to five, like, at all. Um, I don't either. And let me say this. And I think Jonathan's the best at this stuff. Like, he really, like, you know, he's in... Um, dude uh, works it. He's... He's in Eastern Europe. He yeah. Dude, he is yeah, legit like, when it comes to that. Yes. I think Jonathan, Jonathan's the best at this. But, I mean, there is no scenario under which I'm taking four dudes before I take Marvin back. I hear you. And the thing is, like, you say how much,
1: how consistently he plays. He is still able to make this stuff look easy. Like, yes. it is... It is freaky to watch him do that overall this is just listen i i'm looking forward to seeing him go against carolina again i think it's got i think this game's got really good potential and like yeah the fact that there is potentially you know a one line up for grabs here. I, I think that just kind of adds to it. It, it brings more urgency. It's going to be a, it's just a great Friday night spectacle for college basketball. And they don't often meet. They met last year, but prior to that, I think this is only the third time in the past two decades they've actually met in the ACC tournament. So they often uh, are ships passing in the night. They don't really, uh, they don't really run into each other all that much. Should be good overall. I, I'm i going to take Duke to win real quick. GP on the one line stuff. Virginia's number one overall seed. We agree with that. Yes. And then I still think there's movement here Xavier Nova, Duke, Kansas, and yeah, let's throw in Carolina if you include Carolina winning the ACC tournament. That's the only way that it would be in the conversation. But I I, got to think if Duke win. okay, if Duke does not win, if it does not beat UNC, I think it stays on the two line. I think that's probably where it settles no matter what overall – I think I'd be surprised if anything other than that happened to be honest at that point they'd be 26 and 7 uh losses to Boston College, St. John's kind of sticking out. Um I still think they'd have a solid enough resume overall that they they wouldn't really drop from that, but if they beat Carolina, I think they'll have a a shot here. Now Kansas is interesting because they don't have as a and will the committee if they lose if they don't win the Big 12 tournament and the committee has them on a one right now. Like, let's just, let's just say the committee's got them on the one line right now. Mm-hmm. Palm's had them on the one line for a while. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have. Do they keep Kansas there? Because the expectation, and Bill Self, obviously, is in his interest to say this. We'll take him for his word. He's saying Azubuki's going to be back for the tournament. So if the committee thinks that a team that's guard-oriented and needs its big men, like it needs Azabuki, they played some, like Dodd wrote about, they played some dude that was on the football team yesterday. It was a <laughs> hilarious vision of uh, uh <laughs> Watching that, by the way. That was too good. Will, will, will that not even matter for Kansas? I don't know. Villanova and Xavier, can I don't think that they can both stay on the one line. I, it's super intriguing. I love this. We actually don't normally get this. Virginia is the only surefire one seed heading into Friday's conference tournament play. That almost never happens. We're usually at at least two, often three. Rarely are all four locked in, but here it's just Virginia. What are your thoughts on, and, I guess, predictions on who's going to wind up being the top seeds on Selection Sunday?
0: Virginia is a lock. There's no scenario under which Virginia is not a number one seed and probably not the number one overall seed. Like, Virginia could lose. Who does Virginia play on Friday? They play uh, Clemson. They could lose by 70,000 points, and they would still be a one seed uh, on Selection Sunday. So you can pencil them in. I think Villanova is going to be a one seed no matter what. I just think the the resume is too good. And I understand they didn't win the Big East regular season title. And if they lost, they wouldn't win the Big East tournament title. But I I think Nova is going to be one no matter what. And so then we're talking, and I'm dismissive of North Carolina. I don't don't think North Carolina is going to be a one seed no matter what. Even if North Carolina wins the ACC tournament. So I think you're picking between Kansas, Xavier, and Duke for the final two spots. And here's what I would think. I think it's going to be... Virginia, Villanova, Kansas. And if Xavier wins the Big East tournament. Okay, let me start over. It'll be Virginia and Villanova. <laughs> yeah. Then some scenario. of the, and Villanova so loses to Butler. They're still in one seat. I think so. Okay. I think they've still got one I'm of the not, four best events. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Uh, so let me, let me say Villanova. And then if Xavier wins the Big East tournament, obviously one seat you could put them there. But if they don't, they're not. And if they're not, I think Kansas is, no matter what. And then I think it comes down to Duke and and Xavier. And if Duke wins the ACC tournament, it's Duke. But if Duke doesn't, then maybe Xavier slips back in. All right, so let me throw this scenario at you. Duke wins the I, A- I, I think it's five teams. I know, I know. Hold on. There's only five in contention, and it's basically – I'll just leave it at that. There's five teams uh, working for, for four spots, and, and and Virginia's already got one of them. Yeah,
1: I'm with you on that. Uh, Carolina's loss total should, should matter. If they were to win and beat Duke and Virginia, they would have uh, a 14-7 record against quad one opponents, and I think they would be discussed. I don't think they will be on the one line, uh, but – I got some pushback from people thinking that if they got that many wins and won the ACC tournament, they'd have a chance. Not sure. Let's just let's just eliminate them and if they get it, we'll, we'll talk about it on Sunday podcast. But okay, Parrish. Hmm. All right, what happens? What is your what is your prediction Xavier and Duke win their conference tournaments Kansas and Villanova don't. Who are you, who
0: are your four one seeds if that happens? Xavier and Duke win the tournaments? Yes. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go Virginia, and then there's no way to keep Xavier out. Okay. So Virginia, Virginia, Xavier. Kansas doesn't win, you say? Correct. Kansas does not win. Duke does not win. Duke wins. Okay. Duke wins. Duke's in. So Kansas so goes to the two line. So now I've got, I'm have got i picking between Kansas and Villanova? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a total coin flip. Let's I mean, bring I think up you those could...
1: resumes real quick right now. Hold on. Let me bring up those resumes. Um. All right, so Kansas. Who's Kansas playing Friday? Let's look at this. Between Kansas and Villanova. I'm going to bring up their numbers. All right, so Villanova has Butler. Right now, Villanova has one quad three loss. They are nine and three against quad one. Um, number two in RPI. This is Villanova. Number two in RPI. Number two in KPI. Number three in strength of record. Those are results-based metrics. Predictive. Villanova is one in BPI. Two in Palm. One in SAG. That is tremendous. Uh, undefeated in, in Group 2 and Quadrant 2. 7-0. and oh. uh, Their only Quad 3 loss was the home one to St. John's. And they only have four games against Quad 4. Kansas. Six in RPI. Three in KPI. Nine in strength of record. I'll remind people that Villanova is three in strength of record predictive. They aren't as big on, on Kansas as they are Nova. Kansas is nine in BPI. Are they 12 in Pomeroy right now? Hold on. They're well, they're down there. They, they, are. they are. They are, they are 12th at Kempom. and they are seven. Uh, and they are uh, and seventh sag. They also have a quad three loss, Oklahoma state. They also have only played four games against quad four. They have three losses against quad two. Villanova is undefeated
0: in Quad 2. Here's what I would say. Based on the scenario you outlined, which is, again, Xavier winning the Big East tournament, Duke winning the ACC tournament, but Kansas doesn't win the Big 12, uh, and and obviously Villanova doesn't win the the Big East. Mm -hmm. Under that scenario, I go Virginia, Xavier, Duke,
1: Villanova. Okay, so... That's fascinating if that happens because the four one seeds would be occupied by two conferences. If there's anyone out there listening that is able to, I'm not going to have time to look. I would be, I would be interested to know if that's ever happened. If all one seeds were only from two leagues, I don't know if that's ever happened or not. And not only would that be the case, if that happened, you would have the champion of the unquestionably best conference in America, not getting a one seed. If that happened now, the committee will not discuss that, like, because it's just not it's not something that's that's what they're on their criteria list. It's just not it's not going to factor in at all. But it will remain a fact. Kansas won the Big Twelve outright, and it would not be a one seed in that situation. By the way, right now Kansas is eleven three against Quad One. Um we'll see who else who do they play? Who do they play
0: today? Kansas State.
1: Okay. Um Yeah, and if they were to lose the Kansas State game, that could that could damage their their chance overall. But if they won, like Anything could happen here. If they won, Villanova lost in its game, or in Kansas won uh, the Big 12 tournament, then I think you'd have to put them on the one line. This is awesome. I, I love this. I love that we've got true debate and a lot of pick your poison here, and let's not forget about the fact that geography will come into play Not only because Virginia gets – Virginia is the number one overall seed, we'll say, where it wants to play first weekend and second. That will have a trickle-down effect on every other uh, one seed and two seed in terms of where they get shipped. So if you're a Kansas fan, do you want to be a one going to L.A.? Or do you want to be a two sent to Omaha – do you care about geography or do you care about ba- bracket balance? Personally, if I was a fan, I would care about bracket balance. I give me a one anywhere because I'm gonna I'm more probable to face easier teams, so I'll take the one even if it means I'm shipping out west. But that's obviously a continual back and forth debate with with fans and frankly with coaches and administration as well. This is awesome. Real quick, GP, I'm gonna say Virginia. These are predictions here, so I think Duke will beat Carolina, mm-hmm. and I don't think it will beat Virginia. So I will have Duke on the two. I I will say Virginia is, and I'll go I'll go in order here. One overall is Virginia. I'll say Villanova wins the Big East tournament. They're two overall. I will say I I don't think Kansas is going to win the Big Twelve. So actually I think oh I think Xavier will be the three overall and it will lose in the title game to Villanova. Kansas will lose in the Big Twelve title game and get the fourth one seed. And then Duke will be the, the fifth team overall. It will be the top two seed. Uh, and that's, so yeah, forgive me, Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, Kansas. That That's my prediction based on what I think is going to happen in the league tournaments. Should be awesome. Going to be a great
0: weekend. Here's what I would say that's going to be right if Duke doesn't win the ACC tournament. If Duke, how about this? I'll just put it as simply as I can put it. If Duke does not win the ACC tournament, the one seeds are going to be Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, and Kansas. If Duke wins the ACC tournament, they are going to replace either Kansas or whichever team doesn't win the Big East tournament. But, but, but I, let's bottom line it this way. Virginia's a lock, and then there's four teams fighting for three spots. I do not think anybody else gets a one seed. It will be Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, Duke, Kansas. Some combination of those five teams will be the four number one seeds in the selection Sunday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry go He's the legend. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably, five stars. Nice comments. That's all we ask. Five stars and nice comments, and we will talk to you again late Sunday night. It's going to be late Sunday night after the brackets are out. Yeah,
1: right? it'll be late. So if anyone, the West Coast listeners might have it, but we it just depends on our that's workflow. Cool. So. Yeah, but you will have a podcast waiting for you Monday morning if, you, if you're going to bed early. We will definitely record
0: before we go to bed on Sunday night. That's a promise. That's a promise from me to you. Ray Buck now. We're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.